potential customers is already an electric customer of ours. So we know them well, we want to serve them well and, and do it right. And, and Fiber gets that job done. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Oh, my voice is, is a little bit strained. <laughs> we just came back from the Net Inclusion Conference where I recorded more than 20 interviews with folks. <laughs> so I did a bit of talking, and uh, uh, but I'm here and I'm excited to talk with Stacy Evans, the Chief Broadband and Technology Officer at Bright Ridge in East Tennessee. Welcome back to the show. It's great to be back, Chris. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to be talking to you and uh, the event I was just at this uh, digital equity event, net inclusion. I believe it's been announced that it will be uh, in East Tennessee next year in Chattanooga. Hopefully, uh, I was just thinking this morning. I was wondering if I can get some extra time and maybe I'd love to come up and see you, uh, the folks in Morristown. You know, like there's a bunch of folks up there that are doing great work, and uh, uh, maybe we can make that happen. So that would be only- great. We got a year to plan it. So (laughs) (laughs) let's start by uh, uh, you telling me what is Bright Ridge? All right. So Bright Ridge has been an electric provider in the Johnson City, Tennessee area, Washington County uh, locations since 1945. And then in 2018, we decided to launch a broadband division, which technically launched in 2019. Um, So we we serve 82,000 electric customers. And uh, for the area, you know, we saw a need for broadband services, uh, did some surveys, talked to businesses, schools, individuals, and there was an overwhelming response was we need additional opportunities for services, need better services, higher bandwidth, those things. So we did launch services. And, and one of the big things we did, Chris, you might remember this from our previous conversation three and a half years ago, if you believe that. that long right. Ago. I meant to say that. I think it was episode 376. I just want to. But yeah, but back then we, we kind of talked that uh, from 12 years, from 2004 to 2016, our electric customers had grown by 12,000, but our kilowatt electric sales had declined during that time. You know, efficiencies of LED lighting and higher sear heat pumps that everybody does, whether they know it or not, their decisions are being more efficient in electric use. That's all great. We, we really like that. But, you know, we're not bringing more revenue in. So by going to broadband business, we had a new opportunity to really reduce that pressure to increase electric rates by having another revenue stream. And, and some examples of that, the success it's been so far, uh, we we actually loan money from electric payback with the interest higher than anything they could obtain and other investment opportunities they have. We leased backbone fiber they had put in between substations, use that for hours, and then build distribution from that. We pay poll attachment revenues every year. We share the salaries of employees that support both from our CEO on down to billing, accounting, um, you know, all these various departments, human resources. We pay part of the salary now from broadband. It's you know appropriated according to their, you know, their involvement. And uh, then we pay rent to the building for the building use. We purchase electricity, all these various things and a few others. But in our first review of this in 2021 fiscal year, we were $2.5 million benefit to electric, 2.6 this previous year, and that will grow every year. So basically our plan is working. That's a great thing, right? 
And uh, we have jumped two years ahead of schedule, our phase build out. That's wonderful. And uh, just to, so people fully understand, uh, you know, for the history of, of municipal broadband, and particularly, I think, municipal uh, fiber networks that have been built by the electric utilities, there has been unsubstantiated attacks that you would raid the electric side in order to pay for the broadband. And, and what you were just demonstrating is that, in fact, the telecommunications services are subsidizing the electricity prices. So your electricity rates are lower now than they would be if you had not done broadband. That is absolutely true. And over time, as we start paying more of our debt off, that money will grow, uh, especially, you know, as we finish our build and you've got more revenue coming in and so forth. So it, the picture just gets brighter every year, which is great. Yes. And the, our previous conversation was episode 374. So um, I'm sure 376 was good too, but 374 is when you and I were talking. Okay. All right. And so when you talked previously, you were a little bit early into the build out. So you're now two years ahead of schedule. Tell us where, where you are with uh, building the network out. Yeah, I was looking back, like you talked, we, we spoke on September 11th, 2019. We had 38 businesses connected with fiber and 210 homes. <laughs> That's We just got started. So That's right. very, very early on, just building out. Well, uh, in January, we uh, went past 10,000 homes and businesses connected. And, and actually, 1,000 of those are businesses, to give you an idea of that. So a good take right there. We expect to hit 11,000 next month. So our growth is tremendous. We're adding a, a hundred and some customers every week. Interest is good. Uh, we launched with symmetrical services for all residential products. We we launched with a 200 meg, a 500, a one gig, and a 10 gig. So we were the first to launch in the country said any customer has our fiber service can have 10 gig. We, we built it that way. And We've changed a little bit and that, that the 200 became 300 and 300 uh, and the uh, 500 became 600, but all the rest stayed the same. We lowered the price on the one gig from $300 down to $149.99 to make it very attractive. And uh, it was really interesting. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal just a couple months ago talking about John City being a destination people are moving to to telecommute, you know, do the jobs from home, moving out of state and so forth to here. And one of the big things that the real estate uh, person said was the main reason they're moving here is the access to broadband. Who would have ever thought about that some years ago? What kind of difference that makes? So it's tremendous to see that and see the interest in the products that we've got. You'd ask about, you know, kind of advancing our services. And we have, we jumped ahead two years. Um, we had an eight phase build out plan and we will actually commit, uh, finish all the committed areas next year. So that's ahead of schedule. Uh, plus, we've added additional communities that were not actually planned to be on the radar for deployment of fiber services. And one of the other changes we made, we, we launched with a fixed wireless product in some rural areas. And, you know, that was a decent stopgap when there was nothing else. But our intentions are to overbuild 100% of our customers over time with fiber to get them the full experience they can get with broadband. With the uh, wireless, uh, is that something that you've tried different wireless products along the way too? Because, you know, there's a lot of talk about Tirana and and I'm curious if you had uh, experimented with that or if you stuck with what you were using before Tirana was on the market. Well, we launched with an LTE-based product, so definitely fixed wireless. We attached to some cell towers and, you know, try to stay within a, a three-mile radius at most from that to, you know, to really kind of keep it dense. The problem in our area is we are in the rolling hills of East Tennessee. Doesn't sound and, like a problem to me. <laughs> yeah, well, it, 
place to live, great place from that perspective. But when you're trying to get wireless signal and those, you know, 3.65 gigahertz and above, especially gigahertz, uh, 60 gigahertz, you think about uh, uh, tele, uh, Telegraph and some of the other products out there, very line of sight. So if you can't see that home from the tower, you can't serve it. And the thing is, I might be able to serve one customer, but then their neighbor has a hill in front of them. I can't serve them and they get frustrated. Well, mm -hmm. the great thing about fiber, we know that we can serve 100% of the customers we build past that we can give them up to 10 gig services today. And in the future, we can give them 25 or 50 gig or whatever the standards become. It's like just a big difference there and what you can really give the customer expectations for and, and avoid that frustrations of, well, my neighbor got it. Why can't I get it? I don't understand. Yeah. Because you have that universal service mindset, you you want to make sure that everyone has that same service. Uh, you know, you're you're democratically accountable to these folks, so sure. there's a bit of a, a bit of a pressure on you on, for that. It is, and every one of those customers, potential customers, is already an electric customer of ours. So we know them well. We want to serve them well and, and do it right. And and fiber gets that job done. Uh, wireless has its you know it has its position where there's nothing else, but it definitely doesn't provide the end game that fiber does. And so people are aware this, these are areas where you're, you're in some fairly dense cities where you're probably where you got a lot of those thousand businesses that you have hooked up. Um, sure. And then, and then you're in quite rural areas as well. That, that is true. So in Johnson city, you know, you've got uh, two cable providers that we compete against every day national brands that you would mm -hmm. recognize. We've got incumbent ILEC that provides DSL services, some limited fiber in certain areas. Uh, and we compete with them very well every day. And then we go into the rural areas where some customers have nothing but maybe DSL. Uh, you know, maybe they're lucky to get a five meg by half a meg up or something. And so it just changed their life. You know, during COVID, we saw all those changes. People that tried to work from home but couldn't. And we stood up Wi-Fi, you know, locations, provide public Wi-Fi to people, things like that. But, you know, that just doesn't get the job done. They were still having to travel, you know, to an area they could use for high-speed services. So how did the the pandemic hit? I'm sure... Uh, you know, if you go back to that time, I'll bet if we look back to uh, it's almost uh, th three years ago now, right to the to the days, um, you're probably looking at that and thinking, oh, we have the schedule, and now we we probably can't go into customers' homes. How are we gonna How are we gonna meet this? Uh, walk us through like just how you probably had a range of emotions over the first six months of the pandemic. <laughs> we did because we were just new to the business, right? We just launched there in the middle of 2019, and then here in 2020, the pandemic hit. Uh, we didn't know if customers would allow us into their homes. We didn't know we could complete the activations and install. Uh, so a lot of question marks there. But, you know, we did the right things. We had our employees and technicians wire the masks. They would ask the customers they were comfortable, ask them if they want to be in a different room when they were working in the environment. We did all those things. And to be honest with you, we never had a real problem. So we kind of planned ahead for it, but it did not become an issue. The biggest problem we had was those that really needed services, like students that had to be at home to educate and had no broadband at all. I mean, mm -hmm. had nothing close to 25 meg by three at all and so again we stood up these towers did some wi-fi services things like that one of the great things that we were able to accomplish with that is we uh through the state of tennessee the tennessee ecd group had some grants available there in late 2020 and so in three months we built 70 miles of fiber distribution 
to get to 556 homes that previously had no services available. And that was one area. Another location had 91 homes, but had nothing available. And there's some people that had recently moved there from other states and didn't ask the question, is there broadband available? And here yep. they go. They're expecting to work from home and it is impossible. And they're having to travel to the Lowe's or Walmart parking lots, you know, in Johnson City or Jonesboro and work remotely. And so it becomes such things. So, I, I mean, we, we heard the conversations when we turned up broadband, they got emotional and said, man, this changes my life. You know, all of a sudden now I can do my work or I can, my kids can educate. They can do what they need. So it was a, as you know, it's just an incredible time, but we were glad to be part of those solutions. And we still have some needs. There's some areas of our county that we're hoping to get some grant money for in the next opportunities with BEAD to address. that are still unserved about uh, 1800 in Washington County, a couple hundred in Greene County. And so people are aware this is uh, one of the interesting pieces of Tennessee, I feel like, in the state government is that uh, the state has a law from uh, before the year 2000 that means you're not able to serve anyone that is outside of your electric service plant. I love this part. You're not you're not allowed to give them advanced services. So in theory, you could build out and offer them like 40 megabit service, but nothing faster than that as I as I read the law. But but uh, but the state has is nonetheless recognized that uh, you're a valid entity to be getting grant money to be um, solving this problem within your electric territory. So it's sort of like a you know um, not a friend of me, but there's uh, there's some tension there in that relationship. <laughs> True. So um, in the in the state of Tennessee, I mean, I think this is um, this is remarkable. You got yeah Knoxville going on. You got Irwin. Uh, you know um, the uh, BVU in Tennessee is uh, has been going strong forever. Uh, you have Chattanooga. Just i and then Lenora City. I think is in that is that region as well. There's a lot of investment. A lot of investment from the the cities and the the municipal electrics to make this happen. There really is. And then uh, just recently, Greenville Light and Power uh, or Greenville Energy Authority now, they have decided to launch business. So that'll be happening in the next several months. So uh, that's our neighbors. And the great thing is we've been able to work with these neighbors, Irwin and uh, Morristown, some of the others, to collaborate to get some large pipes to the co-location centers in Ashburn, Virginia, where 70% of the world's internet goes through. Also at uh, Marietta Street in Atlanta, Georgia. So peering at those locations cutting down on the, the latency on the, the traffic itself, obtaining bandwidth at lower cost point, and we're sharing those opportunities with these others. So everybody wins, you know, it reduces our cost to be there. It saves them money on services. So we like to try to be that a good local regional partner to work with all these entities. I, I didn't prepare you for this, but it's a, it sort of pops into my head. When I, when I look at places across the United States, there's often tension between different towns. They don't want to work together on different things everywhere. And then we often find that uh, broadband is an area where they're more willing to work together, but still sometimes there's really, you know, I don't know if it's like an old high school rivalry or or what, but there's real tension sometimes where they don't want to work together. But in, in Tennessee, it feels like y'all work together pretty well. Is there something that makes that happen? You know, I'm not sure really what the camaraderie is, but you're right. We have a great relationship with all those entities. Uh, during COVID, supply chain obviously impacted everybody. There was times that we provided materials to some of those peers we're talking about in other areas, even in middle Tennessee, and same way they were able to provide us some equipment that we couldn't get. So that really benefited everybody having that collaboration opportunity to share what somebody else needed. And, and we got to reciprocate that at times. There was one opportunity that we provided some residential gateway routers to a group out in Middle Tennessee, 
And then a little later, we were short on some optical network terminals or ONTs, and they were able to pay us back, you know. So um, those relationships are important. And, and again, we don't compete. So there's no reason not to work to everybody's benefit in that. And Tennessee is a great opportunity to do that, for sure. Now, you mentioned you're two years ahead, but the I assume you had to slow down a bit during the pandemic. I'm guessing you were able to ramp up then afterward. Uh, in part, you have these grants that, that helps a bit. Uh, but how do you what do you attribute being two years ahead in your business plan to? Well, first of all, we didn't slow down during the pandemic at all. Oh, you didn't? OK. We did not. We stayed on course. And, uh, and probably, if anything, we accelerated because we added some unplanned grant building area onto the plan phases we're building simultaneously brought additional crews in and so forth. So we really didn't slow down at all. But now the grants help because here's the great thing about it. When you're in a rural portion of the county, and this was at the edge of Greene County, there are locations in between that and where our main fiber was at. So we're able to go back on that middle mile fiber and multiply that. So that impact that was going to be 556 homes in one area, 91 in the other, all of a sudden became more than a thousand customers impacted because we invested our dollars in that middle mile, provide more services along that route because it enabled us, right? Because the, the cost of getting the fiber there was covered. Now we could build out distribution. So that's one thing we've shared with the state here in grant opportunities is a look and see when someone like us that's applying for grants and take that money and use it for more than just what the grant says. What else can we build off of that in the mm-hmm. future? And that, and that was a great accomplishment. And we would like to do the same thing with the next opportunity. And it would actually be in a very similar position to get additional customers along those paths. So it, I've told our board before that, that one grant, and it wasn't a large amount, it was 2.47 million total. So it was a super large grant, but it was a gift that kept giving because we have built off of that additional services at the point now, again, well over a thousand customers that we can serve there. And I think people should probably be aware, and you could tell me if I'm totally wrong about this, but uh, I would imagine that you could have done that grant and you could have saved yourself money if you were only interested in maximizing revenue by probably using some long haul fiber. And uh, But instead, you invested in a distribution uh, system in which you would be able to break that out in the future, because I'm sure that putting those breakout points increased your cost of building to those more rural homes. It did. And, you know, if you look at those rural areas, if you're looking at a cost per passing, uh, it, it is inflated. Sometimes it can be five times the typical cost of passing a customer in an urban area. So if you're looking at pure economics, it's not the first place you're going. But the grant matching allows you to get there and, again, accelerate the other growth in between as well. So that was one thing. It did make a difference. Uh, we also worked with the city of Johnson City. And we looked at a study and found out that one of the areas that really needed broadband was much later in our phases. And it wasn't by any particular reason other than that was the way the design was set up from when we started. Uh, But we looked at that and said, you know, this is the highest concentration of poverty area in our service locations. Can we pull that forward? And the city was willing to put $2.3 million worth of ARPA money to match us to help do that in advance. So some of those things really just pull things forward to help us get that completed early. And then through the ACP program, provides $30 credit a month. And then we also launched a 100 meg product just for those customers that would, you know, make it a zero cost to them out of pocket per month. And so this really meets a need and we hope can impact that entire area because not only do we see high poverty, we saw studies that we partnered with some groups to, to look at 
that found that educational challenges were higher in those areas because they didn't have broadband access. They couldn't do their homework at home. So, you know, that's in Metro part of Johnson City. That's not out in the county. So they had broadband, but they couldn't afford it. They right. didn't have available. So these combination of things have really helped that area. And we're we're actually just a couple of weeks away from finishing that build that helped accelerate that. The other thing that we've done too is if we uh, if we definitely got an area finished early, we would look at opportunity. Can we add something onto that with the same money? And efficiency uh, is part of it. So I'll, I'll give kudos to our engineering team that's all on site, our own staff, and the guys are building it. They look at every opportunity. How can I pass more customers uh, for the same amount of money? Is there a way I can get a different route here? Is there some way I could pass it? So we looked at all those things and, and just through efficiencies, through the grants, through all the things we're doing, partnering with the city has really helped us accelerate that. And now we're planning on adding another community in Colonial Heights. They are part of Kingsport area to the list that wasn't planned to be fiber. So now that's added in some other parts of the county that weren't on the radar as well. So you you have 82,000 electric customers. Do you have a sense yeah. of about how many uh, without receiving additional grant funds you're going to be able to pass with fiber? That's a great question. And our business plan had expected us to pass 36,000 homes with fiber over an eight-year plan. Okay. We'll have that done in six years. And within the eight-year time, we will pass 47,000 customers with fiber. And that's really not even anticipating any additional grants beyond what we participated on with the state on in the Johnson City. If we get other opportunities, that will accelerate more. So, so basically, we've added onto that eleven thousand additional homes that were not scheduled to have fiber at all. Now, it's not that we didn't have a goal at some time in the future come back and build them once we had the the cash flow coming in and paid off our debt and all that. But this made it happen in the same time window for those eight thousand homes and businesses that we had planned to do much less. Now, what else is uh, benefiting the community? I feel like, uh, you know, I might be a little greedy here for more stories because you've already given us several. But uh, I'm curious if there's anything else. Uh, you know, you mentioned the the article about folks moving to town uh, because of the fiber. And are there, are there any other anecdotes that come to mind? Well, we've worked with several businesses that have acknowledged having that available, had attracted them to the area and have connectivity, uh, especially where we co-located those two main centers in Atlanta and Ashburn. Uh, gives us opportunity to do layer two service connections anywhere in the world at a very competitive cost, you know. And before we really came into business, Johnson City, the three incumbents, primary incumbents for broadband were very bandwidth constrained. Uh, we came in and built multiple hundred gig paths both direction and opened the pipes up, right? So it changed the game. And, and you know what? By us going into business, even if a customer doesn't take our service, they benefit because the competitors had to be more competitive. They've had to increase their data rate somewhat. Still, they're asymmetric compared to our symmetric services, but they've lowered the prices. So everybody has benefited. Competition's a great thing, right? It's a great thing to have. And so I think everyone in the community's benefited. We talked about our electric customers have benefited by reducing the pressure to increase electric rates. Uh, we've been involved with several uh, other projects that this has allowed us to do in partnering for economic development. Uh, we've committed, you know, we pay back in lieu of taxes to the county and the cities. There's new revenues coming in there. We're the largest, uh, if you want to say, in lieu of taxpayer that those two entities have. And uh, Broadband has continued to grow that on top of electrics uh, taxes. And so all those things are great stories. Um, 
again, we've seen tremendous growth in the region, construction left and right. And every time we have someone build a new subdivision, the first thing to come, how quickly can you get fiber in there? And of course, right. they're all underground, so you got to plan for that. So that's one of the things in our budgeting we have to really allocate for is these unexpected growths. We know where our phases are at, but when they pop up, you know, 300 more homes here in the area that didn't exist before, and that was a really a lesson learned. I'm kind of taking a tangent here, but that was a lesson learned when we, in a former network that I helped build from 2002 to 2018 or so, um, we expected maybe a 35, 40% take rate and we built the fiber accordingly. And we quickly exceeded that and had to come back and overlast more. Well, we built 110% capacity here. And, and with that, obviously, some of that can be feed fiber to additional cabinets and so forth. And I'm glad we did because it really has helped us tremendously. And it's not that we've got 100% of the customers taking it, but to give you an idea, phase one, 43% of our customers that could take it have taken services. 41% in our second phase, 40% in our third phase, and 25% in the fourth phase that just finished last uh, June. So our growth has been great. we got a great team. We uh, we really see word of mouth being a big part of our sales. Actually, 17% of our sales every week come from people referring their neighbors, say, hey, this is a great service you should look at. So we're very pleased with that. You know, when it helps sell itself, that's that's a great thing to have. We do rely on door-to-door salespeople. We have found that you really got to be in front of the customer to show them the difference, explain things to them. Everybody's not technical. Most people don't understand the difference between symmetrical services where the download and upload are equal versus asymmetric, that the incumbent providers don't tell you that. Right. Okay, you get meg down, but it's only five or 10 up. They don't tell you the five or 10 limitation, right? Um, so educating customers is a big part of what we do and it really raises the game for them and understand what they can do. And, and I remember back in 2018, we had some public hearings for the community telling what we're planning on doing, getting opinions, all those things. And I, I told them at that time, some PowerPoints we did, I said, the internet in the past years has been a pool technology. You you looked at a, web, a website, you pull data down, you downloaded things. But I said, it's flipping on its head. You're becoming the content creator you're creating the videos are getting stored in the cloud you're creating the photos are getting uploaded all those various things and we're seeing that right upload becomes critically important and especially when you're talking about people working from home telecommuting remote education telehealth services all those various activities there's a couple of things i want to pull out from there uh, to emphasize for folks so when you're talking about the in lieu of taxes and my wife and i argue about whether we should abbreviate abbreviate a pilot for payments in lieu of taxes or she prefers ilot for just in lieu of taxes um yeah. opinions vary across the, the finance professionals in the united states um and but that's money that's taxpayer dollars that that you're offsetting and so people don't always appreciate that that these municipal electric utilities uh they generate revenue now you're generating more revenue and and you make these payments to the city that allows the city to do more without having to increase the tax burden on the local businesses or the residents and that's that's pretty important you know it really does it's, it's incredible how much we pay so let me give you just a quick idea in the last five years uh bright ridge has paid 28 million dollars in lieu of taxes to local government yeah, that's that's a big number. Uh, each year we write a check to Johnson City for four point four million, and, and to the county for one point three million. So again, you're right that those are monies that come back to the region, and that's the nice thing about being a municipal or you know energy authority. 
is that revenues that come in, they don't go to some NFL city and stockholders. It stays in this community. And once our eight phases build out, it continues to stay here to build to customers that may live in the rural parks that maybe are overlooked by a grant or maybe they don't have sufficient services that we can extend services to. So really it opens up a lot of things in the future that's going to benefit customers that we probably can't even tap right now to think about. Right. And as you just detailed a few minutes ago as well, the people that are in between the areas that are served by grants are getting served by that. Now, when you mentioned the new subdivisions and things like that, I think people need to appreciate that when you're going to do this big build over eight years, as you have a plan, you borrow a certain amount of money. And and we all think, oh, new subdivision. Great. There's a lower cost to building to a subdivision than to a neighborhood that's already been built up. But there's still a cost associated to it. And so you got to find on the order of, I'm sure, more than $1,000 per home uh, that, you know, sure, you're going to have a good return on that. But you have a cash flow situation where you have to get equipment on the side of the house and in the ground. And so that can be a real challenge. You're exactly right. And, and typically your numbers are really close there. I mean, you talk about the passing build, talk about the electronics to enable the customer once they activate services. The labor in both of those is the biggest component, really, to be honest, uh, whether it be construction, fiber, activating the customer, turning up, all those things they do, um, you know, it's costly. And, and you're making that investment there, anticipating, you know, a good take rate. And the great thing is we've we've seen that. We've seen the customers really, uh, you know, appreciate the difference in the products and raising that bar for everyone else. And, and I'm so glad we were able to launch with 10 gig services. And was it that everybody needed? Absolutely not. But it made it available to those that did. And it brought attracted people to the community that otherwise John City may not have been on the radar to move here. And we saw a big influx and continue to see that of people moving to the locations. I mean, you're, those electronics, you're hopefully not going to touch them in five years, um, you know, for more than five years. And in five years, who knows? You might have more people that are that are using that when I'm, you know, if I had it available here, I'll admit I probably would not get more than a gigabit right now. But as soon sure. as we see like uh, consumer grade gear that is affordable to move 10 gigs, like I'm, I'd probably be getting it because I'm doing some of that stuff. I'm pushing video up into the cloud and it turns around if I'm trying to move 300 gigabytes of information to a client or to someone that I'm I'm working with a vendor so that they can turn uh, our raw footage into a cool video. I don't want that to take all night. Oh, you're exactly right. And when we first launched it, we knew that businesses would be the main user that they were. That's absolutely the case there. But to make it available that any residential customer could take it, and they did, you know, we started seeing it grow, especially as we reduced that rate to make it more affordable. I think we're the lowest 10 gig symmetric residential service in the country at less than $150. So, uh, but it, it's, you know, it's not, when you think about what people have paid before for their entertainment costs and all those things per month, $150 is not that big of a, of a push, plus layer on your third party streaming video services, not that terrible. Stacey, it's been wonderful catching up with you. I salute the work that you're doing and thank you for your time today. Well, thank you, Chris. Enjoyed it. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, 
please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.